Hey guys, it's Chuck. Real quick before we get started, here's our parental warning. Number one, you asked for it out on Twitter. I went ahead and left bloopers in, diatribes in. This is long. It runs over an hour and a half, but that's what you said you wanted. Said you had plenty of drive time you could listen to. So it's all there. Just so you know, five questions starts at about an hour and 20 minutes in. And then number two, we recorded this during roll call. Roll call, of course, is Kenny Lay, whose Twitter handle is at Enron Chairman. It's his party on Friday night. He shows a cool video. He lays out a lot of people on Energy Finance Twitter that you should be following. And he encourages partying and sending in pictures of the party. And so we're going to talk a lot more about Energy Finance Twitter during this pod and who you should be following. Kenny Lay is definitely one of them. And let's just say last Friday night when we were recording this, there was a major wine flex by Nimble Fatty. Colin, hey man, it's Chuck. What's going on, dude? What's up, Chuck? How you doing, man? Dude, can you believe like BRV and Kitty are paying me to come on the podcast tonight? I can't believe that, man. I can't believe that uh, Kitty's getting on the podcast. This is going to be something else. I know. How much did they pay you? Because you sucked up to them pretty hard. I'm just saying. That was a bit of a love fest. I know. You know, when I got BRV on, I mean, he had to, he had to pay me a few racks to get on the show. I didn't want him to come on. And, you know, I, I kind of felt bad for the guy. So let them come on. But, you know, like Kitty, Kitty, I don't know if I'd let them come on my show. I kind of think that it's weird that a grown man sits around on Twitter and refers him, refers to himself as Kitty. So kind of find that to be odd behavior. It, it took me about a month to figure out it was a guy and not a girl. <laughs> See, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, and, and what I'm worried about with BRV is it used to be pretty good when he did oil and gas commentary on Twitter, but now it just seems like he goes on diatribes about women's fashion. Dude, I'm telling you, <laughs> I, I tell BRV this all the time. You know, I don't know if you were on Energy Fintwit back in the day, Chuck, but he had, uh, once upon a time he retired from EFT and he posted this post with the picture of the bat signal and said he was retiring and he ended up coming back. But I think it would have just been net positive for the community if he just stayed off. Didn't he come back in like six days? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, was... it was less than a week. I think it was like three days. So, yeah, he came back. And then um, apparently he's been spending a lot of time on the uh, women's fashion blogs, like he said. So, you know, I'm kind of getting hit to some of the styles and women's pants and things of that nature. Thanks to BRV. Nice. Any uh, final words of advice before I uh, go on? Those guys are calling in in just a second. No, man. I just wouldn't let them have the mic too long. I don't want them to ruin, I don't want them to ruin your show, ruin your ratings. The key is I have ratings of one, and that's my mother, so long as she doesn't turn <laughs> off. <laughs> it's a low bar. It's only up from here. So. Exactly. All right, man. Y'all have a good show. All right, brother. Take care. See you. Yep. Shook Yates is a self-proclaimed towering giant of the energy business. After graduating magnum cum laude, laude daude, we like to party from Rice University with a BA in political science and plenty of BS. He later ran product design for Apple where Steve Jobs proclaimed him so valuable that if Chuck left, I'd be reduced to wearing nothing but black turtlenecks for all time. Chuck joined the Houston office of Stevens Incorporated, the Little Rock, Arkansas investment bank where he strove to do well, but not well enough to get promoted to Little Rock. 
After figuring out he was a really crappy investment banker, he moved on to the principal side of business, where he fared not much better. But as everyone who has spent more than 30 seconds with Chuck knows, he did the legendary Silver Heel deal. Interestingly enough, Chuck once won a bet from Superman, where the loser had to wear his underwear on the outside of his clothes. Despite all of these achievements, in the post-COVID spring of 2020, Chuck was shit-canned from his gig as a managing partner. It did make Wall Street Journal, so at least he had that going for him. You know what? Fucking Colin hadn't smoked his goddamn pound of weed. Yeah, so he can kiss my ass first off. I was like, he wears t-shirts, jujitsu t-shirts all the time, you know, and quite frankly, you know, Chuck, at some point, uh, the Chuck Job Pod is going to be running laps around digital wildcatters. That's calling my shot right now. I like it. I'm down with you on that. Hey everybody, it's Chuck Yates. Welcome to episode three of Chuck Yates Needs a Job, the podcast. I've got two of these podcasts in the can, and I know they haven't come out yet. And I want to explain that just real quick. So I decided I wanted to use Tone Loke's wild thing. You know, the whole thing of, let's do it. And then the hasta la vista, baby. Trying to figure out how to license music is like worst than trying to figure out title in Chambers County in Texas. I mean, Universal sent me to Concord, sent me back and all that. I mean, it was just a, a total mess. So what I've done is I totally gave up on Tone Loke, so we're not going to do that, and we're going to jump in, and I will get these things out in a week or two. I promise that. So, guys, tonight is... Awesome. We have two guests. We have BRV, and I'm going to introduce him in just a second. And then we have Shale Unikitty, if that's how you pronounce it. And let me introduce my guest real quick. So, Kitty, I need to apologize to you because you and I started DMing, and just to be honest, I didn't know if you were a dude or a chick. And, you know, because it's a little weird that a dude would sit there and call himself Kitty and all that. And you sent a, a DM to me where you said, I'm going to take the kitties out to the pool. And I think I DM'd back to you, well, send the sluttiest one down to Houston. And you were like, dude, you just totally, <laughs> cro you totally crossed the line. And it took me a second to realize you were talking about your kids and so I apologize profusely because I was expecting like Chris Hansen of Catch a Predator to come around the uh, the screen, uh, come around there and all that. So anyway, Kitty, hello. Thank you for coming in. Hey, uh, thanks for having me, Chuck. Okay. It's a pleasure, pleasure being on, on your podcast in its infancy. And it's a pleasure uh, getting a chance to send it to the moon. Nice. 
you know, I do, I do recall that. I do recall that initial uh, meeting of you in the DMS that that was shocking, but <laughs> it's not necessarily surprising. Yeah, well, fair uh, Chuck, enough. You know, we have a shoot. We have a president that puts his damn foot in his mouth every day. So, Chuck, it's all good, man. We moved on, and uh, and it's it's okay. You know, the kittens don't even know about it. And uh, I'm I'm and relieved. Great day at the pool. I'm relieved. I'm relieved. And uh, Kitty, we're in a little bit of trouble about what I'm going to read here because our other guest, BRV who everybody knows, I don't think I have to introduce, and this is going to kill me to read this, but I am. I was DMing some of the other big people on EFT. Mr. Skilling says, and I quote, BRV is the most interesting character on EFT. BRV, (laughs) welcome in, baby. Hell yeah, dude. uh, I guess that's a compliment, huh? absolutely yeah all right somebody tell me what eft is we need to tell the listeners what that is yeah i mean it's uh stands for energy fin twit which uh is basically a bunch of uh guys that get together uh anonymously generally speaking on uh twitter and uh shit post about oil and gas uh the people and the companies that are involved and uh that's pretty much it yeah i mean the other i think if i was to just follow up on on that um on that definition that eloquent definition by brv there i would just have to say that energy pentwit is just composed of of all the the true talent in the industry the underlying true talent that that built the industry and then subsequently yeah destroyed it but that's a whole nother story for for another day as far as infill results go and then that but but really just the talent the underlying talent that makes up the business you know and and there's plenty of reasons why they're jaded and there's plenty of reasons why we might get into that today but um you know i would just say that's that's the true core of eft and uh you know eft is composed of of uh, a lot of good brains uh, and a lot of people out there that 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 want want to uh, want the truth to be heard um, and it's a, it's a great organization. Let's do this. I mean, I get when you go on digital wildcatters and you're talking to Colin, it's kind of a suck up fest, and it's all this. <laughs> oh, oh, Mr. Brv, you're so smart. Tell me what you shorted today. Can we not do that tonight? I don't think people want to hear that. So tell me about who are who are the big guns on EFT? I mean, who are the people that folks need to be following? I mean, I'd say, as quoted today, you know, the godfather is definitely Mr. Skilling. I think uh, he's the reason I got on. He's the reason a lot of people got on. He's probably got, you know, the widest... Um, uh, widespread mainstream um, across just general people in industry talk about Twitter accounts. Uh, he's definitely number one in my opinion, and uh, for good reason because he's got he's got good content. He uh, he elevates himself above the uh, the general day to day banter of shit hosting and commenting. He sort of uh, he kind of comes in with his own threads and and generally. Uh, makes people uh, aware of things that are that are important in the industry. And so I would say skilling's probably number one. 
uh, <clears throat> I think that's an important account. I think, uh, you know, energy credit, he, uh, he's been on there since the beginning. He's probably got more followers than anybody and, uh, probably generally has the most intelligent commentary. Uh, he doesn't really get into the weeds of, of talking shit and, you know, all that stuff, the way that a lot of us do. So he sticks to the, uh, to the real substance and all that. And, and so that's definitely an important account too. Uh, let's see. Maybe wants to give a little shout out to Blake street bomber. Um, one of my EFT homies, um, just, you know, really, uh, sent me the EFT rankings, um, as if we were going to do another bracket recently. Nice. Uh, and so, yeah, just looking at just relatively on a, on, from a follower basis, you know, we're looking at ONG, OG, energy credit yeah, one, energy credit. obviously just mentioned it. Mr. Skilling just mentioned it. Energy cynic. Um, so cynic so energy cynic always comes after me i have no idea who that guy <laughs> is but i love energy cynic we'll 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 get to more energy cynic but keep going on some of these names so that folks know who they should go follow well i'll tell you this i think probably the most underrated but high quality account which probably just gets down to how often he posts i, I think is more drilling and that's M-O-A-R <laughs> drilling. Because um, everything that dude throws out is just fucking hilarious. Yeah. Uh, right. The problem is that he only posts like once a week. Right. But it's always good shit. Uh, so that's that's definitely like my personal personal favorite. We DM a lot. He's definitely my uh, my homie on the on the EFT crowd. So Well you you know, as I'm describing EFT to folks. I'm sitting there saying 99.9% of all the people are anonymous, right? So you have no idea who they are. So thus skilling and lay and more drilling and, and all those sorts of stuff. And I try to say, I think they're a bunch of 25 and 30 and 35 year old, you know, vice presidents at investment banks and private equity firms that are kind of in the deal flow, because I mean, it is stunning how much they know. I mean, I went down to Cabo with three people and we were trying to keep it really quiet. The fact we were going down there and it was on Twitter. So, I mean, they are, de they are definitely in the know. They're funny and all this, but they are anonymous. And so, you know, I kind of give that to the listeners because it creates this amazing dynamic, right? I mean, it's information flow, it's funny, it's all of that sort of stuff, but at the same time, no idea who it is. And speculation is just rampant, right? A hundred percent, Chuck. And and this is Kitty here. And just wanted to just say, you know, I mean, on the heels of that, you know, with the, the age demographic shout out there, I always, I got to give a shout out to my ladies. Um, so... I want to give a shout out to Halliburton. Um, that that handle would be Halliba, like Halliburton, H-A-L-L-I-B-U. Uh, then the number seven eight three one six three six eight. She's uh, funny. Then, I, yeah, she's absolutely. funny. She's great. Then of course Sim. Um, the handle there would be YYC Sim S E M. Uh, and then Jennifer. 
Dubai. I, I don't know. Yeah, Dubai, Evans. Dubai. Yeah. Um, looking for, yeah, Jen Dubai Evans. Um, um, Jen, she's a classic. She's smart gal, uh, lovely fellow. Uh, the handle there would be Jen, J E N, uh, Dubai, D U B A Y, Evans, E B A N S. Those are the ladies that I pretty would like to shout out. Nice. We didn't shout out a uh, Sarah Caitlin, but that's because she's mine, right? I knew. Well, the only reason Kitty didn't shout. Well, obviously, Chuck. The only reason I wouldn't shout that one out is because I knew you had that one, and and you're my homie. I would reserve that for you, man. She I appreciate. I don't think she counts as EFT though. Yeah, she no, that's right. Yeah, that's she's, just a, she's just a generalist, man. No, that's so, true. But my intentions are honorable. Let's go ahead yeah. and just you know, my intentions towards Sarah are very honorable and all that so so let me let me start off here and you guys just jump in but like so here's the deal i mean i was on twitter at the beginning i uh i i exchanged tweets with shaquille o'neal chad johnson i mean like way back in the day right so i was always on twitter and you know at some point, when you rise in prominence to a uh, in, within a private equity firm, you kind of got to be careful, right? And unfortunately, I wasn't very good at that. I wasn't very good about being careful. But uh, about two years ago, it just the heat was such that I was kind of like, okay, I need to get off Twitter. So I got off Twitter. I got a fake account just so I could read everything. So I kept up with everything. And then when I got shit canned. In uh in late April, kind of early May, I jumped back on and all that. But to me, the defining moment in EFT was clearly when Mister Skilling did the bracket. And basically, for the for the listeners out there, you know the NCAA tournament. There's a bracket. 64 teams and they have, you know, East Coast, West Coast, North, South, and they set up those 64 teams to play. Mr. Skilling set it up for MLPs and it was just epic. I mean, he had two divisions. He had midstream survivors and then he had MLP Frankensteins because at some point when MLPs were hot, it was like, Fuck it, I do this. Man, boom, let's MLP it. So MLP Frankenstein's. And then they <laughs> he created four brackets. Low return on invested capital bracket. Corporate governance, never heard of it. And then he had, why do some people think MLPs are Ponzi schemes bracket? And then the he had the thanks for the investment banking fees bracket and it was just epic he had 64 different mlps he wound up having uh like you know the games and he would comment on the games and all that do you guys remember that because that to me was like holy shit there's something to this community you know honestly the truth is that's before i got on and it's before the kitty got on because the kitty got on after me uh, but you know it's it's Chuck, what, what I would say is I I personally went back and reread some of it, and, man, it set off just as many giggles as the current day EFT dialogue sets off. Um, and, it, and it certainly set off as many giggles as the 
EFD Shitco National Championships at all. And that was the bracket that Kitty did. And the underlying inspiration of that was the godfather himself, Mr. Skilling. So um, 1,000%, uh, Chuck, we remember it. And it's what brought some of us here. Yeah, I mean, I think that probably was the event. You're right. I mean, that was what started people talking. I mean, when I got on Twitter, it was because my friend that works private equity in Dallas was sending me screenshots and it was of that and then other stuff that Skilling posted. And I, I would bet the reason that he sent me the follow-on stuff was because of the bracket. So really, the whole reason that I'm on Twitter and got on in July last year is probably because of the bracket. You know, I mean, it was just epic. I mean, I was sitting there reading as at it as it went along, and the unbelievable thing about it, I mean, he was sending what fifty tweets a day during this. I mean, this was not one oh, idea. Oh, I mean, he was out of control. I mean, he was going <laughs> through each one of these MLPs, how much equity they had issued versus their market cap today. He was calculating return on oh capital investment. Oh tweets are just saying, who the fuck is Mr. Skilling? And why is he following us? Yeah. And uh, so anyway, I was going back and reading it, you know, over the last couple of days because I knew we were going to do this. And two of the things that just struck me as like literally the funniest things. <laughs> Some random person who has 12 followers and follows 14 people tweeted out, this is the bracket I never knew I needed. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing that was so cool is, you know, Skilling's going through like this analytical, you know, analysis on why people were beating other people. And he actually had an upset. He had the uh, Cohen boys and Atlas number 16 taking down new source energy partners. And it was just hysterical how he's going through it. But uh, at the end of the first round, he sent out a tweet. Congratulations to the management, to the management teams that were less terrible and got bounced in the first round. <laughs> <laughs> It was it was awesome. So that was my kind of oh my god, EFT really is something, and and this guy started it. Give me some other moments, man. What what's happened out on EFT that uh, that folks should know about? Um, well, I would say you know early on um, in my when I when Kitty first joined EFT. Um, that was, that was, by the way, by the way, that's epic. How you talk about yourself in the third person. That's like person. Rick, yeah. that's like Ricky <laughs> Henderson as. Yeah. And, 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 and for all the, for all the haters, that's you frack slap. If, 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 if uh, any indication is of your, of your little, um, plug, um, on this pod, um, you know, if you have anybody that has issues with, with the kitty, then of course, you know, it's, it's all about foresight. <laughs> I knew that Kitty was going to be a phenomenal third-person gig, um, and that's what EFT is all about. It's anonymous, and 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 it's great. I'm a kitty with kittens. Um, <laughs> how much more perfect can you get? And I'm allergic to cats, um, so I don't even like cats. I mean, um, so Meow. you know, I got dogs, uh, you know, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I got big old hunt dogs. But um, you know, I mean. Anyways, what else? Where, what where else? Out of, yeah. What else? Where was I going with that? Oh. What oh, else oh, out there on EFT do we need to tell people? Sorry. About? Sorry. Sorry. I got a little uh, 
little claw buzz there. It's um, all good. Uh, the White Claw buzz. Kitty uh, just got a plug in there for for White Claw hard seltzer. Um, currently drinking the mangoes. Got a twelve pack. Would have loved to got them free. Um, Work on sponsorship. We'll, uh, use we'll this hashtag for a two dollar discount. <laughs> Absolutely, two dollars. God, no, White no. Claw. If you're listening, we've sold <laughs> um, twelve six packs. <laughs> <laughs> Bullshit. I've drank like thousands of claws in quarantine. <laughs> um, so many claws. The most claws out of any claws. Uh, claw drinkers. So when I first joined um, EFT, I would say that's first when uh, the whiting uh, paper was cooking up and, and it was really getting hot. And so I think this is a perfect chance for just to throw it over to BRV just to just to talk about um, how the whiting paper came about and uh, and how that really unfolded. Uh, yeah. OK, cool. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, the. Uh... I think the whiting paper is super cool because, you know, it all started with a couple of online anonymous uh, relationships, right? Me and Energy Credit, we DM'd a bunch and another guy that is a stud but doesn't post because he works for a hedge fund and doesn't want to get shit canned, but uh, Chasing Value was his name. And we were all kind of kicking the shit one day and it was like, you know, what's the most shortable company out there? And really it was actually Chasing Value's comment when he said, you know, I think Whiting's the best short. And, uh, and you know, he couldn't really chase that, but me and Energy Credit were said, well, we got time, it would be fun. Why don't we collaborate, you know? So his background is that he's sort of a credit guy, uh, had his own hedge fund at one point, and, uh, um, and you know, I'm an engineer, so, he said, well, it's sort of a, a, a good, you know, complimentary uh, skill set where I could come in, I could do all the PDP PUD values, create, you know, some do the geology and all that stuff and, and try to back into, you know, what we think these things are worth, et cetera. And, and then he could sort of take that model and then apply that to the, uh, you know, the bonds and, and the, the debt structure and the, the equity values and all that. And when we came out after a couple of weeks of us working together, we sort of figured out, well, hell, this, you know, equity is worthless and there's no chance that they're going to make good on these bond payments that they have to do next year. And, you know, we slapped together a uh, 95, I think it ended up, you know, slide deck. <laughs> And, you know, we actually debated a lot about what the uh, most appropriate means of releasing our, our slide deck, which I think maybe was more uh, a passion project than necessarily the, we've been accused of saying like, well, you thought you could move the markets and all that crap. And that's just not true. I mean, we just said, well, it's fun. It's interesting. Let's put our thoughts on paper and let's just drop it out into the world and see what they think. And, and yeah, that's what we did. And we decided to do it on Twitter because that made sense. And I'm glad we did because it sort of brought a lot of people into Twitter. And as a forum, like we discussed earlier, I think it's an important forum because it brings in so many sides of the industry. You've got landmen engineers, you've got the finance guys, the geos, the uh, bond debt guys and, and all that. And so it's a place that it's the only place that I know where all those people come together and they, you know, are talking. And so, uh uh and so yeah i mean we put it out there it 
had a lot of fanfare. I think it made a difference, honestly. I mean, I can say that actually when we watched the Bonds trading that day, like they got impaired by like five, six percent. So clearly the bond market took it and saw that it was a valid analysis. And it turned out they were right because, uh, you know, five months later, they went bankrupt. And so, you know, what else can you say? I guess we got it right. Well, you know, um, I mean, I was sitting there, Mike Hines and I were running the private equity funds at Kane Anderson at the time, and we read it. I mean, right? Because we're sitting there with Kraken that's got a lot of exposure, obviously, to the Bakken. I mean, I think they were even bigger than Whiting um, kind of at the time. And, man, we read every single page of it, and it felt like, you know, what was it? 150 pages. I mean, that was some real work. Yeah, I mean, and I actually, I, I can't cut off the uh, the oil guy if, because he contributed to. Um, so there was really the three of us. But I mean, I, honestly, I would say like all in man hours, <laughs> it probably put in, uh, you know, maybe three or four hundred man hours of work that went into that project. And I can honestly say, because we we actually paid. <laughs> so I, I do have a little fund that I manage with uh, four other guys, money involved, but but a lot of my own too. Um, close friend type, type deal. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, we put in from the fund side, I think we put in 20 or 25,000 bucks to like, pull the data and all that stuff together. We, had, we actually paid a consultant to do the work that on the, uh, the volumetrics up in, up in their Bakken play. So, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it was a real deal. I mean, you don't- No, and you were right. Play. I mean, that's the big deal is you were totally right. I mean, you know, one of the things we'll talk about later when we kind of get serious on this is just how much of it was we were right about you were right about shale and all that versus just prices fell out of bed. But no, I think your analysis of where the wells were turning out much more accurate than uh, than uh, what was published at the point. Yeah, I mean, I think if you really give a shit enough to like go in and dig and and you know this is like Tom Lowry and mm-hmm. others. You know, but I think Unikitty knows because we're both, you know, engineers and uh, these guys are totally full of shit. You know, all the uh, publicos that broadcast all this stuff and all their presentations and all that. It's just uh, it's it's highly inaccurate to the point of uh, just being uh, straight out fabricated, I would say. You you know, what's interesting is it's actually. It's actually not a lie. I think the better way to to characterize it is, is it's cherry picking because they pick the best well. I mean, whenever you go to an investor meeting, you hear them at a conference or whatever, the public companies always just pick the best well, right? And it's not the P50 well. It's not the median well or anything like that. It is it is definitely the best well, and that's the type curve. And I think that was the frustration for investors because yeah. they keep sitting there saying, you know, on a DNC basis, you tell me you're drilling 40 and 50% wells, but, you know, your PDP never matches the capital we've deployed. 
Well, right. yeah, a hundred percent, Chuck. And I mean, it's just uh, this kitty again. Sorry, I've been, um, you know, helping while while BRV. I'm sure I wasn't even here to listen. I can't wait to go back and listen to what he had to say about lighting. Um, but I went in. Like I went in and uh, helped uh, play with uh, and you know read read the kids some stories. And they told me about all these pictures on their their walls and and BRV's wife. A uh, little plug there at BRV wife. Um, you know she is she is a lovely uh, lovely gal. Um, hey and, uh, hey hey hey, off, hey you guys don't have to explain it to anyone. We don't judge here. You know, at, well, the, no, I mean, at the Chuck Yates think... Needs a Job podcast, we don't judge. Go ahead. Okay, no, no, no. Don't I don't, go in the gutters. I don't think I don't think the listeners realize that you're even at my house. Right. Well, now. you're at my house, right? Yes. Did they do? Do they know that? Well, like, they do now. Yeah. So I hope so. Unless... He's at my house. My wife's putting our kids to bed. My kids, our kids. Excuse me. I hope it's not our kids. But... <laughs> <laughs> My three children are going to bed. Possible? Kitty's BRB's son or daughter? What? But huh? Something? But the uh, wait, I'm talking about the yeah. Uh, I have no, no idea. I was talking about. Uh, sorry, yeah. I was talking about the BRB paper. So oh, no, the, no, the no, no. paper. So I sit. I was what I wasn't able to sit here and listen in, and I was looking forward to. I am looking forward now to. To tuning back yeah, in um, and listening in once we uh, get the final edits in and, uh, and get this thing rocking and going to the moon. Hey, but you know, Chuck, the, the point going back to what you said, right? Like, and this is, I think, a super important point, right? Like, because the whole the whole idea and the whole reason that shale has become what it became is the fact that it's a very esoteric business, right? And that there's a lot of technical issues that people don't understand right it lives in the gray right and and when you're in the gray like you depend on the people that are knowledgeable to provide you with the information that you need to make the correct decision right and and the fact to me is is that those people that had that knowledge instead of using it to do the right thing chose to do the wrong thing they chose to figure out ways to manipulate the data to make themselves enrich themselves and and that to me is the problem, right? Like, you know, the Warren Buffett test, right? Like, it's what would I tell my sister? Like, you wouldn't tell your sister that the, you know, best well in the block is going to be what you average across, you know, the next 20 yeah. wells you drill. Like, that's not what you would do. And that's the problem. Like, so many people fell back on that. And then it became a question of relative morality where it's like, well, everybody else is fucking doing it. So why the hell won't I lie too? And, and it blew totally out of proportion where you got to the point that I mean, something like Alta Mesa, which to me is the ultimate Frankenstein's monster of the <laughs> fucking business, where you had people claiming that these were three, four, or five hundred thousand barrel EUR wells, and they were like seventy. You know, I thought the rock 80. would be. I thought the reservoir would be like a little bit more fractured above the Nimaha BRV. By the east side of the, yeah. But I mean, that's, I mean, that's what I mean, though. I mean, you hit the point of ridiculous. I mean, Sandridge is a great example. AMR is a great example where you literally had people showing five, six, seven times the amount of reserves that these wells would actually produce. I mean, you can do a look back on Sandridge now, and the wells are almost dead. I mean, they're like five to 10 barrel a day wells now. And and they were telling you they were 350 to 400,000 barrel EUR wells, and they cubed 60 and 70. Period. In a story. And they had 40 drilling rigs running 
back in the day, back in 2012. So, I mean, so it's just total fucking bullshit. And, and I'll tell you the most fucked up thing about it. And this is, I'm going on my diet track here, but that was the first company I ever shorted actually back in 2013. And, you know, they'll tell you like they got investigated. Actually, there's an SEC thing where they, they, you know, filed a, a they actually had an internal whistleblower file a report with the SEC and all this crap. And, and, you know, they said they fell back on the fact that they, like these wells were so hard to predict. You can't project these things. You can't get accurate. You can't whatever. But at the time in 2013, me and one of my coworkers uh, created this whole week. I mean, if you thought whiting was crazy, I mean, we made like 250 slides about Sandridge and we projected those wells within 10% of what they've produced today. I did a look back like two months ago and we were within 10% of the EURs that are today. And they were like six X off. So, you know, I mean, it's not a mistake, right? Like if you're a knowledgeable engineer and you do the work and you know what you're doing, then it's not that hard. If you're within 10%, you're close enough. Well, you know what, you know what, you know what, uh, I'll say, uh, present company excluded, but, uh, you know, one of the Rothschilds back in the, uh, 17th century, when England was building all the railroads, it may have been the 18th century. He said, there are three paths to ruin, wine, women, and engineers. The first, he said, the first two are more fun. The first two are more fun, but the third is the most certain. And, um, and, and I say that with no disrespect to any engineer uh, out there, and certainly not my former partners at uh, Kane Anderson, but I think what we missed as an industry is I think we did a pretty good job a measured job of let's go blast this thing with more slick water, more sand, and see what happens. We were measured in that. The problem is we didn't realize. What are y'all doing over there? Are y'all like blasting off? Anyway, um, yeah. we didn't. Uh, oh Get over. I live in the hood. We're out here. Uh, we're we're good friends with uh, the president. This is not my best friend. I know it. Everybody knows it. So so uh, so uh, you know. Anyway, where I was going with this is, I think we totally missed as an industry that the amount of risk we took to figure out if these bigger fracks work. There was equal or more risk when it came to downspacing. And I think the problem as an industry that we had is we sort of downspaced out in the Permian, particularly the Delaware, and you figured out that the worst thing you did if you overdrilled is you kind of hit 80% of the parent well, you know, and you're like, all right, so that's our downside. Well, I'll just tell you this, Oklahoma in no way, shape, or form uh behaved anywhere similar to what happened out in the Permian, particularly the Delaware, when it came to spacing. I mean, you know, we used to sit there and say, okay, you got a milkshake and you put eight straws in it. If you suck out all the milkshake, you know, and you divide it by the eight straws, okay, maybe your economics aren't great. Maybe next time it's six straws. Well, what we found that happened in Oklahoma is if you put in too many straws, 
you couldn't even get the milkshake out of the uh, of the glass. So I mean, you'd wind up if you put in you know four straws, you got all the milkshake out. If you put in six straws, you got half the milkshake out. I mean, it it did not behave like any other sort of resource play that we've seen. And I mean, I think that's why the stack, the scoop, you know, and all that just turned into such a disaster because it wasn't behaving like anything. And I'm a finance guy, so you guys need to correct me on this. But just when I look at that, I think what we probably missed is just friction. I mean, the oil and gas actually has to produce. And so we didn't really care about friction coming out. You know, we just cared about blasting the rock open and, and all that sort of stuff. I think maybe if we're going to have a next wave of technology, and I don't really see a next wave of technology, but if we do, maybe it's friction inhibitors that uh, that actually help and all that. But, man, that was the craziest thing I've ever seen. And, uh, you know, Kitty, I know you hate Oklahoma, and I'm right there with you. All right. So, you know, me and the kitty love to talk about Oklahoma because Oklahoma is a very interesting actual uh, case study. And I'll tell you what, everybody missed, but a lot of smart people did not miss about Oklahoma. And is the actual truth. I mean, it's nerdy and it sounds like it's bullshit details that nobody should give a fuck about because you can't put it in a spreadsheet. But like, the truth is, is the bubble point, right? Science actually goddamn matters, right? And the bubble point of oil in the stack is dramatically higher than, say, let's go to the Bakken or the Eagleford or, you know, parts of West Texas, let's say, right? And so what this comes down to is that we can talk about the stack the exact same way that we can talk about every conventional reservoir that got drilled before the stack did. And the truth my opinion about the stack that nobody wants to confront is that you chose, not you personally, but you, the industry, chose to throw out the science behind a simple thing that I did when I was starting my career 20 years ago, right? Like, hey, we drill a well, we run in and we grab a bottom roll sample of the oil and we test it, right? Like in situ sample of oil and we say like, okay, what are the PVT properties of this reservoir fluid characteristics, right? And in the people that actually knew, like I got one of my best friends as a reservoir engineer at Continental and he'll tell you, dude, like we knew, like there was tons of discussion when the stack started about the, the PVT properties of the oil that was in the stack. And the fact is, is that, you know, your bubble point in the stack oil is like six, 6,500 PSI period. And so, you know, I can go back to my basic reservoir engineering class 101 in college. And I can tell you, guess what? When a reservoir drops below reservoir pressure or bubble point pressure, the recovery factor drops dramatically, period, in the story. And so, Guess what? The Bakken has a 2,000 PSI bubble point. The stack has a 6,000 PSI bubble point. And so the recovery factor for the Bakken is going to be dramatically higher than the recovery factor from the stack in the story. I mean, that's just it. And, and I will tell you, <laughs> we might have to edit this one out later, but my buddy that worked at Continental will say, like, dude, 
we knew it. Like we talked about it internally all the time. We knew that the stack bubble point was way too fucking high and that all these, you know, 12, whatever, you know, per section, 12 wells per section units were going to fucking yeah. blow up. Like yeah. we knew they were going to blow up. And, and I would echo on that by saying, uh, I think I think the people are pretty familiar with the kitty taking a um, bunch of kitty shits on, uh, uh, massive shits on, on uh, stack, uh, scoop, whatever, mid-continent infill, um, you know, you name it, you know, it's a burn. And so I've, uh, I've posted on some of the, the biggest burners, but, you know, I would say that, you know, in, in, con- in tandem with that is, is, you know, most of these companies, you know, at least the industry uh, as a whole, we're, we're drinking the Kool-Aid of, of adjusting the, the drainage area, the effective drainage area of your wells, if you will. And so, you know, adjusting your, your stage lengths, uh, your, your cluster counts, uh, your perforation uh, counts uh, per cluster, uh, and then, you know, varying even sometimes that, that perforation count per cluster uh, from the heel to the toe, um, all that fun stuff, too. Um, so, you know, I mean, I think, I think it was just a mixture of drinking those Kool-Aids, but, but as, as Willie, uh, Willie Ray here uh, so eloquently, you know, described, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, science is science. So um, even fucking Art Berman would uh, would sit here. Uh, Who's fucking, a goddamn idiot? He would he would fucking <laughs> he would do a cheers to that. Um, you know, I mean, so you know, it's hard to argue. Chuck, what do you think about Art Berman, dude? You know, I don't. I, I I actually don't know Art very well. I mean, I kind of only know Art through. Uh, through Twitter, and we engaged in some stuff on Twitter, so I don't Chuck, really know seen, him that have well. Have you seen Forty Year Old Virgin? <laughs> <laughs> what was the? Uh, you know, Steve Carell in yeah. uh, actuality was that Harry, and that is real. <laughs> I mean, have when you he seen had... dinner with Smucks? No, I've missed uh, that. I'm, I mean, I got three kids, so I don't get this. Just another art plug, man. You'll have to go back and watch. You'll understand. Let's uh, yeah, no, that's interesting. So one of the things in kind of all seriousness that uh, I want to do here is give you guys kind of two avenues to explore. One, y'all have not beat up on the private equity model yet. And y'all should feel free to to fire away because, you know, I'm kind of sitting here at least somewhat the poster boy for it. So far away, I'll uh, I'll do my best to defend uh, my brethren as much as I can, and I'll fess up when we're where we fell short. So far away, man. Private right. equity rules, BRV. Come on, Kitty. I want, I want. All right. Well, let me clarify. All right, we got Kitty's dunking his head. In okay. His arm. Look. No. 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 no, no. no, no. I'm, I'm not going to keep going. I'm going to let BRV go. Okay. Look. Because I'm a man of like, I mean, look, we're on a podcast here, uh, a Chug Job podcast, and it's EFT. It's anonymous Twitter, and it's only fair to rank it by follower count. And <laughs> and, and I'm going to sit here, and I'm just going to fold over, and I'm going to let BRV take a note. 
And, so, and I am the slacker. I have less. Can, okay. Yeah, I've got okay. less than you do. So fire away, BRV. Let's hear this, man. Come on. You've been very. This is not. This is not Colin's podcast, dude. Come on, man. Yeah, I'm just gonna say, like, all right. For one, I shit on private equity a lot, but the truth is, is that what I talk about is private equity in the sense of like the general industry of private equity and isn't necessarily oil and gas private equity. Now, in my opinion, oil and gas private equity is a shitty investment because, you know, it's really, it's just the opportunity to take private money and invest it in a highly risky speculative lease flip, you know, type prospect, which I don't believe in personally. Like I've never done it. I've never appreciated it. And for me, which is probably why I'm not ridiculously wealthy and I should be, but I've, you know, always sort of chased things that I thought would like make actual real money and real returns, not something that I thought I could flip some idiot along the way. But, you know, when I talk about private equity on energies into it, ironically, I'm not really talking about energy private equity. I'm talking about private equity as a, as a more, you know, universal term, which is, these guys that go in, you know, it, it goes all the way back to, you know, Nabisco and in and, and Barbarians at the gate, right? Like it's the it's the guys that come in, buy these private companies, skin them alive, fire all their employees, and move everything to China and pocket the you know arbitrage. <clears throat> and you know, I I single out uh, Traeger Grills a lot, and that's not because they're an especially terrible group. It's just what I know. And that's just, you know, like you've got a, a company, a private equity group that went in and they bought a grill company where they built it in a dude's barn. They had, you know, I think it was 350 employees in Oregon. Private equity group comes in, they buy it and they lay off 95% of the workforce. And then they move everything to China. And, you know, and now, you know, they just, they've enriched themselves, but they've made the world a worse place in my opinion. And, you know, I don't necessarily think that like, I'm not a, I'm not a boy scout. Like I don't want the whole world to believe what I believe, but like, I think awareness matters. And like, I think if you understand what you're doing, like if you know, like when I buy a Traeger grill, I'm supporting a private equity company that went in bought a business that was owned by a guy and had 300 employees in Oregon. And I'm now supporting a group of people that laid all those people off, moved everything to China and fucked all those people over and, you know, shit all over the United States of America. And I'm okay with that. Then cool. Like, don't care. Like if that's what you're cool with, then that's fine. But I just want people to be aware of that. Now, oil and gas private equity, like, to me is just a speculative bet on can we flip acreage and and now that that shit's dead i don't think that you know it's even relevant anymore i mean i don't even know you know they think that you know now private equity thinks like we're going to be like pdp buyers we're going to be like conventional we're going to do all this stuff but guess what dude you can't go spend 300 million dollars drilling 9,000 foot vertical wells in Western Oklahoma, period. So guess what? You're not going to be in that game. You're not a conventional driller. You're not going to ever do it. I mean, you just can't. The dollars, the whole dollar amount isn't there that you could ever execute on that business model that would be satisfactory to private equities returns and the amount of money that they need to make to gen their business model, period. That's you know, my I'm, take. No, and I'm kind of, 
you know, I've been on other podcasts, so I'm on the record of saying, I don't know why we need to drill another well in the United States. I mean, you know, we're at the point where we took, pick a number, what, 15 million barrels of oil offline because of COVID, and we've resettled back. We're certainly not at 100 million barrels a day. Um, so we're definitely lower than that. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the air travel. So we know where the first 15 million barrels a day are going to come from in terms of demand. And so I don't know why there's a rig running at all. So I think, you know, you've kind of heard me say this, and I totally stole this line from Tommy News at uh, Oasis, but, I mean, I think we're in the age of the plumber. I mean, we're going to produce out. Pennies matter now. We're going to automate. We're going to wind up. And I hate this from the humanity side of it, but I think we're going to have, you know, 75% of the employees in the um, energy business being let go just because yeah. they really don't need it. I mean, how do you yeah. really need a pumper driving by every well every day? No, you don't. Yeah, no, uh, especially if you're Kate Richard and you got modern technology. Uh, <laughs> um, so, Giddy's back, um, uh, took a PP, uh, was able to listen to BRV go on. Uh, I want to keep going on about the private equity side, but at the same time, I think it's fair uh, that, you know, I think, it's, I, think I can parlay with the, the public company talk, I wasn't able to chime in too much on that. Real quick here, I want to just go ahead and hear, see if you can hear this crap of this can. Right. Nice. White <laughs> yeah, Claw. That's, that's, uh, that's White Claw number six. I've had, I don't know how many glasses of wine, probably like four, five, who knows. Good for you. Um, this isn't and, Colin's uh, product. This is not I, Colin's I, product. I had a great time. Nice. So, uh, so, so just, just wanted you to hear that, hear that. Uh, I like that. Click, of that. click of that can. So, but, but, um, so, uh, Kitty here, I think, I wonder if I retweet Kitty. Does that make me a copycat? Copycat? Is just discrepancy and in, in compensation from the top, from the C-suites, all the way down to the bottom. I mean, the people that are really putting in the labor, the sweat, um, the um, the hours um, behind all this work, um, regardless of the outcome, I get that. Um, we, we can't fight Rona. We can't fight crazy uh, Saudi and crazy uh, uh, drops in prices. So um, needless to say, I would say uh, one of the things is um, – you know, along the way, uh, Chuck, uh, that's super frustrating uh, from from a younger guy's standpoint. Being the, being in the industry is um, is along the way we're we're seemingly achieving success. We're uh, we're outlaying capital. We're drilling wells. Uh, we're doing our jobs. Uh, we're obviously in the early days drilling as many parent wells as we can, saving that acreage, baby. Just like my song, I'll plug that. Right. Uh, Dear, Dear Oil Biz, uh, it's a great song. Uh, you should check it out. Uh, check out the Kitty's profile. Um, but um, you know, I'm just saying, like we're, we're along the way, we're you know doing our thing, um, spending money, drilling wells, uh, growing production, 
seemingly making half cycle rate returns that are through the roof. Um, and, and, and along the way, you know, we're making bonuses every year. Uh, the younger guys, you know, are just living the dream. They're like, this is amazing. I'm making six figs. I'm getting these bonuses. Um, and then in hindsight, looking at data like, like Tom, Tom, uh, Lowry, Lowry, um, uh, and scale insights. I mean, looking at data like that, that came out today or the last few days, I don't remember now I'm getting a little drunk, um, is like, um, I mean, it's a little bit eye opening, right. To see, to see the discrepancy in the amount of, uh, compensation. We don't need, need to discuss salary. We don't need to discuss stock differences because we get it people when a stock goes up um these executives get less stock when a stock goes down these executives get more stock but it's value neutral and it's always always more than the common man than the underlying man the underlying brains and the people behind this business and and it's frustrating and so i'll finish um without even just digging in to the pub codes, which i could and I'll go on to the private equity side and I'll say, look, now we're talking about incentive units. We're talking about private equity stock uh, shares, if you will. Um, and, and, and there's a huge discrepancy there. The kiddies had so many uh, messages from friends in the private equity world that, that have had business, that have had you know, parts of their businesses or their entire companies flipped. Um, and, and, and them think them left thinking, man, I'm just going to crush it right now. And the discrepancy is outrageous. And these guys have gotten away with it over and over and over again. And it's, 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 it's done. I'm done with it, you know, and it doesn't have to go on any longer. And we're all smart enough. All of you EFT, we are all smart enough. And I, and, and I, I encourage you to, to get some friends, get your landman, get your engineer, uh, get your geologist together, and let's go, you know, pull some friends together, get you a business plan together, and let's, let's just fold this business over on its face because it's bullshit. You and I both know. Well, you know, let me, like, argue against myself as a pri I'll, – I'll – this a little bit on my uh, private equity brethren. You know, we as the private equity fund would invest obscene amount of money into each one of these private equity funds. And, you know, I know everybody talks about the obscene fees that we get through management fees, but at the end of the day, I really just rolled those into the next fund. So, in terms of did I live a great life? Yeah, come on. I mean, I've got a great life. There's no question what's, about what's that. What's your prep return on that? When you roll that into the next, that next fund? Well, what's, what's, it, what's, it, your, what's your prep return on that? Eight. It, it's, yeah, no, eight? it's 8%, it's you know, that you roll that's into. Well, that's great if you earn 8, but if, uh, if you take you all your management. Make sure you do it. If you take all your management fees and you invest and you make 0.5 times your money, it's kind of like, oops. Um, but the management fees make you rich, right, Chuck? I mean, really. 
No, right? but but that's the Are misnomer. You on zero, Chuck. I mean, come on. Yeah, well, no, that's fair. I mean, I'm gonna move back in with my parents before I get another job, so there, there's no doubt about that. But you know, the uh, the interesting thing is, you do make a lot on management fees. There's no question. That's what it's happened. But you're rolling a whole lot of those management fees investing in the next fund, you know? So, like, the downside, private equity, the ugly side is if you can just get your money back on every fund, then it's a great life. When you get into post-COVID and oil's at, you know, $35 a barrel and you're talking about 0.5 times your money, you, in effect, you know, have lost all the management fees that you uh, that you uh, received. Now, here's where I was going with this. So, to take your side of it, Kitty, is you as the management team are being asked by me, the private equity guy, to take twenty five percent to fifty percent of your net worth and put it into one company. Because I quote unquote want you committed, you know, I quote unquote want us aligned in interest and all that sort of stuff. But man, that's a hell of a, con a concentration on things. Me as the private equity guy, I'm taking an obscene amount of money. I'm investing in the next fund, but at least I get to diversify across 15 different investments, you know. And so what's interesting is your argument against me is, man, I got to put so much money into this one thing and blah, 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 is interesting because it gets to me. And then when I turn around and talk to my investors, I'm sitting there saying, at least you get to diversify across everything. You know, 80% of my net worth is tied up in energy. And what's interesting about that is, you know, I've got my now. do what you should have gone out and shorted like BRV. No, that's exactly right. And you know what was so interesting about this, and 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 all, and I'm glad you brought that up. Is you know, Morgan Stanley is my guy. You know, I've got a guy there that takes my money, and I was always like, hey man, I'm gonna throw it across the transom. You just don't lose it. You don't need to make any money. I'm going to make it. You just don't lose it. And what was really interesting is he would, every time we'd go raise a fund, he'd say, all right, what's the risk of raising the fund? I go, I think oil price is dropping. And he'd always say, let's put a short on that. You know, let's put a short on the industry because you're going to like take all your management fee, invest in the next fund. Let's go short it. And maybe I'm too much of a Boy Scout but I never felt like I could do that because I didn't want to go. Number one, I felt like it would have been a hundred percent disclosable, right? If if I am short oil and gas, I need to tell the LPs, hey guys, I'm short. You know, you're gonna go long. I know you have an allocation you need to do to energy, but I'm gonna go short. I felt like I needed to disclose it, so I just could never do it. But, you know, in hindsight, my guy at Morgan Stanley would send me an email, you know, once every month saying, dude, if you'd have done the short we said, here's what you'd be worth. 
So I never did that, but it's interesting because your bitch about concentration in one asset comes to me and I'm turning around to my investors going, well, I'm so concentrated in energy, maybe not one, you know, 12,000 acreage position in, you know, the scoop in Oklahoma, but, you know, you keep working it back. And so I think kind of all your criticisms about the private equity model are really valid because at the end of the day, one of the things that happened, so, you know, I get shit canned, I'm sitting around, I can kind of like just be free, I don't have any responsibilities, and I'm thinking about things. And one of the things that just slapped me in the face was oil and gas literally since Titusville. I mean, literally since uh, we discovered it, has always been a lottery ticket business. I mean, it's oil can double. Why do I need to run a good business? Because when oil doubles, I'm rich, and great. Or, you know, I can go drill a good well and boom, you know, my reserves quadruple and I'm rich. You know, all that sort of stuff. And I think today we are finally at the point there is no more lottery ticket. I mean, oil yeah. prices cannot double. We cannot go find a new reservoir because every reservoir has been hit with slick water and you know so much sand we have nothing to do with. So now we actually have to run good businesses. And you know, I think that is the thing that's changed now. And uh, so anyway, I kind of just lay that out there because, you know, now that we don't run these these lottery ticket businesses, for lack of a better description, I mean, it's like, holy cow, we've got like all this concentration in a business that if we do it really well, might earn 5%. Chuck, bro, I love you. I mean, I respect the fact that you're- Dude, fire away. Stuff. Quit apologizing. Yeah. I'm not calling. Let's do it. No. <laughs> You, I mean, I'm just saying, like, throw you know, the stones, dude. We're good. Just fire away, <laughs> man. You know, as well as I do, that private equity's whole model is that within the realm of possibilities, like, we're going to take every goddamn penny off the table and we're going to put it in our own pocket, right? Like, oh, I mean, sure. yeah. So, I mean, like, look, Warren Buffett, like, I've done the evaluation myself. That guy has averaged an, an upper teens rate of return over the course of his entire fucking career. I mean, period. And so when you look at the private equity contract, which I had at one point because I worked for private equity, and, you know, when you look at it, you're like, oh, well, this is simple. All I have to do is perform 50% better than Warren Buffett performed over the average course of his career. And I'm going to make a bunch of fucking money. And like, you know what? Like, the fact is, is that realistically, and you know, it's, it's not going to happen. Right. But like, if you limit your downside, if you're, if you are private equity and you say, look guys, like we don't think that an investment is interesting if you're not going to deliver a 30% rate of return to us. Right. Like then, you know, uh, uh, if you can be convinced that that's true, which, most of these guys don't understand, right? Like you're feasting off of the ignorance of the average private actor, you know, oil and gas engineer, right? Like, I mean, these guys don't understand the fact that like, oh shit, if I make two and a half X on money in five years, that's like a phenomenal thing that like, 
not only is it hard as shit to do, but it's hard as shit to do within the amount of money that they're giving me. Like, it's not that I'm starting a lemonade stand with 50 bucks and I'm trying to make it into 250 bucks. It's that I'm starting an oil and gas company with $150 million and I've got to turn it into $600 million for this thing to actually gin and make me money, right? And that's, oh that's, that is the thing that well, people just do. Hey, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to agree with you. Hey, real quick, I want to plug in and just ask, don't you want to, you must drill. But he's going to plug in. Okay, plug in. Well, no. So what I was going to say to you guys is I actually think in my 25 years of investing in energy and looking at it and trying to be intellectually honest, the chasing of alpha, the chasing of alpha caused me to take more risk than I really should have, you know? I mean, we the 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 energy business is so incredibly unique in that beta dominates, right? I mean, yes. you can 100%. sit, yeah, 100%. no, I mean, you can sit there 100%. and say, "Hey, man, you paid me, you know, two percent, and I told you that Chevron was going to outperform Exxon by two hundred basis points, but I totally missed that oil prices would fall by fifty percent, and I lost two thirds of your money." Yep. Right. I mean that yep. that that I think is the fundamental problem with energy and energy investing is that we look at it that way. We've always chased alpha. We've sat there and said, "Hey, management team, you got to go make me a two and a half x, and if you don't, I'm gonna pull the plug on you really quick." And and uh, and the like on all that, but you know, at the end of the day, I mean, it's fucking hard. I mean, drilling mm-hmm. drilling horizontal wells, figuring out what to frack. I mean, that's impossible. And you know, if you step back and you look at it, what do we sell? We sell a fucking commodity, right? Your oil is the same as the oil across the lease line. Your gas is the same as the other gas that feeds into the pipeline, right? The drilling rig you get, it's a commodity. You can hire this rig, that rig, it's a commodity. The second you come up with a proprietary frack, guess what? The service company sells it to the guy across the lease line from you. I mean, it is all a commodity, and so... You know, chasing alpha and energy is just fucking ludicrous. I mean, and we've set up a whole entire investing system. For, Are you going to real estate, Chuck? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm just kidding. I'll let you keep going. No, 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 no. I mean, it's 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 right. I mean, when you sit there and look at it, we incre- we created because at the end of the day, right? What happens? Actions follow incentives. And we created an incredible, immense investing society in energy that's all about alpha. And alpha just doesn't fucking matter. Doesn't it matter. really doesn't. Beta, beta matters, man. Alpha matters in real estate. It matters in biotech. It doesn't matter in oil and gas. Because alpha can be a negative number, an enormously negative number in oil and gas, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, alpha alpha matters when you're trying to date a Victoria's Secret model. 
That's when, <laughs> right? That's when alpha matters. That's right. Yeah. I could take the bottom rung of the Victoria's Secret showcase and be all right. Yeah, exactly. I it's... mean, I had this fight. I had this huge, I mean, talk about EFT and slap fights. Like, I love slap fights on Twitter. I don't back down at all, you know. And I had this huge one with, you know, our our, our favorite communist uh, EFT member, uh, Quick Draw Capital. Oh, you know, you're New York. kidding. I, no, I have to. You'll keep going. I just just, text, just wait I just, for five yeah, questions. Hey, hey, quick, I just keep DM'd, going. I just DM'd QDC, Quick Draw Capital. Uh, this podcast is going to go to the motherfucking moon. <laughs> or dot, 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 or I'm drunk. Laughing kitty faced. Dot, 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 either are possible. So uh, Willie's going to continue. Well, Quick Draw is a private equity dude in New York. And, you know, we don't need to go past that. But, like, I, I had a big slap fight with him in a public forum, you know, EFT about this exact topic. And I was like, you know, everybody tries to sell alpha and oil and gas. I was like, it has nothing to fucking do with alpha. Like your investors don't give a flying fuck about alpha. Like nobody gives a fuck. I mean, you're Except like, Hey, that. guess what, bro? Like everybody else in energy delivered, you know, a 0.4 and I gave you a 0.5. I gave you half your money back and everybody else gave you, 40%. Like, nobody gives a shit. That doesn't matter, right? Like, all that people actually care about is like, you know what, like, how much money did I give you and how much return on investment capital did you give me back five years later, period, end of story. Well, like, let me and, let me defend my brethren here for just a second. And I don't want to sound like too much of a homer, but, you know, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, Ken Hirsch was out there and he was raising money in private equity and he would show up at an institution, a pension fund, and they'd say, hey, Ken, go over and talk to our private capital guy. And the private capital guy or gal was doing buyout, venture, private debt, you know, all these things. And Ken would go over there and say, man, energy is really interesting because we can do this, this, and this. And they'd say, okay, how does that stack up against buyout, all this? And they would either give him money or they wouldn't, right? And so that's that was the world. And then circa 2005 to 2010, everybody kind of felt energy was like, holy cow, we need to actually create an allocation for it, right? And so it was like 10% of the portfolio needs to be in real assets or 15%. And when anybody went in from kind of 2005 to 2010, 2015, the pitch was not energy is great because of this, this, and this. They walked into talking to a natural resources person, someone that really got it. And it was like, why me versus NCAP? Why me versus NGP or quantum or whatever the case may be? But we're committed to 10 to 15% being in energy, right? And so they either chose you or they chose NCAP or whatever, and your job was to actually put that money to work. And so, you know, the one thing I have a beef with on, on Energy Finance uh, Twitter 
not in a big way, was, you know, oh, you're so stupid and all that. It was like our job was to actually put money to work because institutions had created a portfolio that they wanted 10% exposure to energy. And so I would talk to investors and they, you know, very enlightened investors would say we had 10% in energy. It didn't really work out. We got half or two thirds or three quarters of our money back. But at the same time, because energy prices were so low, Amazon was up five times, 10 times and all that. And so the one thing that if I was getting on my soapbox to talk to EFT about is, hey, our job was to get money exposed to energy because that's what the client wanted. No, I mean, I get it. Like, and, you know, honestly, that's a totally valid point. And it's, it's a consideration that I didn't consider where if you say like portfolio analysis, like, okay, like if I'm going to just take this portfolio and I'm going to, you know, stress test it across the board. And I'm going to say like, what happens if oil price is down 20% and how does it perform? And then my Amazon stock will kick ass because all the trucks that drive and drop off stuff at people's houses will perform extremely well versus my energy stocks, which get killed. And all I'm really doing is giving money to Chuck to say like, get me exposure to energy, right? Like, and you know, that's fair <clears throat> and it's interesting. And I, honestly, I am thought about it at length. Well, and, and, and I'm sorry, I'm cutting you off, but you know, I had invest, I had investor discussions where it was like, all right, you're giving me a 5% return on energy. Why? I literally had an investor tell me this. Why can't you give me four times my money like Amazon did? And I said, do you know what Amazon's second largest cost is? No. Well, it's energy. And the fact that I could only give you 5 or 10% means that energy costs were low. By definition, Amazon should do really well. Quite frankly, had oil gone to 100 and I gave you a three-bagger, your Amazon wouldn't have done it. And so I, I don't want to say all this and sound like, too much of a homer for private equity because God knows we made our mistakes. And generally speaking, the criticism you guys have of us is true. But I mean, that was our job. You know, get me, get me exposure to energy post taste. Yeah. Well, no, hey man, I, I, if I log criticism and, you know, I've been in the exact same shoes, uh, I have investors too. And I mean, my main priority is like, you know, the exact same as yours was, right. It's just like, we think that energy is a depressed space and we want to get as much exposure to it as we can for as cheap as possible. And that's what you're getting paid to do. And, and so, yeah, I mean, like <clears throat> you don't give a shit if I or BRV edit that out. Um, if IBRV think that uh, energy prices are going to be, uh, you know, perform poorly because that's why you're talking to me is actually, you know, you don't give a shit what my perspective on energy prices is, is you want me to give you exposure, right? Like, that's my job. Like, my job is not to tell you that oil price is going up or down because that's what you think. That's your job. And 
my job is, is that you think that oil prices is going to be, you know, it's something that you want to be involved in over the next five years. And all you want me to do is to deliver you the most exposure for the lowest entry cost possible period in the story. And, and that, you know, totally get it. And, 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 you know, I agree. And it's interesting though, because it's, it's, that's what it is on the front end. At least this is where I've been in my career. Like, we we want you to give us this exposure. We want you to give us, you know, beta. And then when it comes down to it five years from now, we're gonna we're gonna judge you on alpha. Right. Right? Like you yeah, know, that's like, exactly I mean, right. Yeah. Like and that's the truth. And and you know what's interesting is the really sophisticated institutions that invest with you truly grade you on where you rank vis-a-vis beta. You know, you pick me up, you know, 10, 20 basis points above uh, beta. You did your job, you know, and actually they penalize you if you're way outside of beta because they think you took too much risk. And quite frankly, they're probably right. The five questions. We always like to end the podcast with five questions. Question number one. So the first equation every petroleum engineer in the world learns is Darcy's Law. Of course, unless you went to Texas A&M. With it, with it, you can establish the flow rate of an oil well. And to summarize that equation, you multiply the permeability of the reservoir times the delta P, let's use the language. For those of you that don't know, that's the difference in pressure across, you know. Fan phase. Exactly. So delta P times the cross-sectional area divided by length and what other variable? You guys are two petroleum engineers who claim to be the shit. What other variable? Hold on, what? What was the question? Hold on, Chuck. I never succeeded in uh, in listening in school. I was DMing uh, the Twitter uh, famous EFT folks. I need a little repeat. One more time. Question number one. So the first equation every petroleum engineer in the world learns and you two guys are distinguished petroleum engineers, is Darcy's Law. Of course, unless you went to Texas A&M. <laughs> With it, you can establish the flow rate of an oil well, and let's just summarize the equation. You multiply the permeability of the reservoir times the delta P, which to the layman is the difference in pressure, times the cross-sectional area divided by length, and what other variable? Viscosity. Nice! Boom! I didn't think you'd get it. What unit do you measure viscosity in? Centipoise! poise, dog! Fucking A, y'all are actually real engineers. 
Dude. Yeah, because I'm fucking smart and I'm worth more than I've been paid, motherfucker. Nice. <laughs> All right. All right. I'll give you boys that. Lay so question, you, question number one, check stuff. mark. Y'all got it. Question two. Yeah. Roll call or new bit Friday? New bit Friday. Fucking A. I really? Mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I love Kenny Lay, but you know, personally, I mean, if you look at Kitty's history, I mean, I, I would, I mean, if I'm a politician on EFT, I mean, if there's anyone out there that are trying to like, you know, mess with my answers on this pod, like I got to go with the new bit because, I mean, because my activity uh, shows as much and, and scaling. I mean, it's been phenomenal. It's just, it's a variety and it's just you get hit with something phenomenal every Friday. Yeah. I mean, dude, he's the OG. And, you know, nobody can replace that. It's, it's, you're, you're talking about Snoop Dogg versus Too Short. It's just two different categories. And I will put myself in the ladder. And I will not say that I can compete with Mr. Skilling. You can't do it. He's the OG. He's Snoop Dogg. You, you just, he wins every time. Hands down. No discussion, period. And, and he delivers. He fucking delivers. He comes up with a new idea. He puts a lot of thought into it. And you just can't beat it. It's, it's unbeatable. Nice. Question three. True or false? Quick draw capital is a 13-year-old prepubescent boy <laughs> who reads too much of his daddy's oil and gas investor. <laughs> <laughs> true or false I mean I, I'm gonna go with true I mean I'm gonna say true I mean he's a fucking commie there's no doubt about that 1000% 100% commie I mean you just can't deny it he's commie but you know I love the guy I mean like I have plenty of commie investors that invest in my business and I love the shit out of them I mean there's good ass people that are communists and quick draw might be one of them. One thousand percent Kitty uh supports QDC, Quick Draw Capital through COVID and thin. I mean thick and thin, but COVID and thin. I mean, the dude has been through it all. Um he's he's in it, he's in the trenches, the capital trenches that is. Um the dude's a political madman, um, and he's welcome in EFT. I told Quick Draw I was going to throw a jab at him. him? No, quick. no. I mean, I, we, can I, keep, we can keep plowing, but just let no, me know. No, no, no. I told him I was going to throw a jab at him, and he said, okay, hey, good. I got thick skin, so all that. So, question yeah, four. He, said, he, he actually said, rip me a new asshole. I think we did. <laughs> we got it done. But he said be nice, so at least we, we'll just, we'll, we, Vaseline, we need to plug Vaseline here? No. Yeah, exactly. Maybe we can get a sponsor. We need a sponsor for the pod, because I've got none of those. (laughs) All right, number three, Chuck. All right. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Question four. And the name of the pod is Chuck Yates Needs a Job. Question four. Where do you see me in five years? Where do we see Chuck? Yeah. I think, you know, here's what I think, Chuck. 
so you know i'm about to go drill uh 30 wells shallow vertical oil and gas wells in northeast oklahoma and i think chuck should get in on it that's what i think i honestly think if i were to buy another working interest ever in my life that you should cut my dick off like lorena bobbitt did <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just saying, you know, this, this, this is not my gig, you know, so I'm just saying. Chuck, I mean, dude, that's what you know, bro. I mean, you've been drilling wells for longer than I have. I would dude, say, like, Chuck, or funding drilling wells, right? Like, I mean, my answer would be, um, I see Kitty sees Chuck Yates, uh, blooming and blossoming into one of the top commentators on Bob Minery's upcoming R-rated sports network. <laughs> so I can tell dick jokes. You spent a lifetime drilling wells, but you can tell dick Chuck, jokes. you know, you just got the voice, brother. You know, I mean, you've proven that you've got the brains and the private equity shit biz. And, and and right now on the pod, early time, I mean, and even on the early videos you posted to the twits, I mean, you uh, you've proven you got the voice. I, I think I think you're going to give Bob a run for his money, and and, and rather I think Bob's going to end up partnering with you. So <laughs> that's Kitty's answer. Hey, but imagine this scenario, right? Like, let's just step back for a second. Let's, let's just do say, it. I'm Chuck. This is Chuck Yates talking right now. Hey. <laughs> investor you got a hundred million bucks like i know in the past all we've done is flip shit to fucking dumbasses here's a plan we're gonna sell oil for more money than it costs us to drill it <laughs> we're gonna fucking do something different here this is a whole new idea this is just revolutionary brv yeah you know what i've always wondered about eft and all this is you know, you're on Reuters, you're talking about how you made 4 million bucks and DRW is, his answer to everything, right, is, well, I'm fucking richer than you are, right? Is it <laughs> something about having R as a middle name that means you always have to bring up money? <laughs> Kitty, I mean, are you with me on this or, you know, you absolutely. I'm, yeah. I'm just waiting for the answer. Yeah, exactly. All right. Lay it on us, BRV. Hey, you know, I mean, is my house pretty nice? I mean, you're here right <laughs> now. Everything's um, uh, top notch. A lot of it's, <laughs> a lot of it's imported. <laughs> um, I haven't drank from a glass that wouldn't fucking whistle. Nice. It, and I rubbed my finger around the rim. It would just whistle like Woo! a bluebird. Nice. Like a bluebird in Nashville breakfast. I like it. You can't hit it at all. I mean, I'll just eat that steak and, uh, you know, enjoy this uh, phenomenal patio. I mean, it's like the patio of a Shell Shipko CEO. Except, <laughs> except it was made honestly. And it was made shorting the shit that those shell shit goes made uh, off of uh, the innocent LPs and the innocent investors 
And so uh, it's it's a shame, but it's it's a joy to to enjoy here under the patio of BRV. Question five. Would either of you like to come out of the closet tonight? <laughs> Fuck no. <laughs> uh, Kitty would like to formally come out of the closet, Chuck. Nice. Lay it on us, Kitty. I am not a woman. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, hey, guys. This has been amazing. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, you know what's so funny about it is, uh, so I've done two of these pods. They're in the can. I promise they're going to get out. I mean, it's the tone loop problem. And we've gone past that. And I'm going to wind up ending every one of these pods with the same thing. We'll be back in two weeks where our topic will be great, Achievements in Energy Finance by Really Short People. <laughs> hey. hey, to round this out, um, Chuck, um, Kitty and BRV are sitting here looking at a table full of empty uh, uh, white claw, uh, mango actually flavored <laughs> uh, hard seltzers, and a empty bottle of uh, some great um wine here some red wine actually um that uh we both enjoyed along with the steaks that brb cooked um but you know we we, we did see your video earlier in the day of uh, you flexing that wine muscle uh and so we thought we'd just end tonight by uh just asking you uh what the damage was like on your end uh very fair question um I brought the bond over and uh, I know I showed on the video the single bottles and uh, actually what I did was the one and a half liters, um, so the magnums, I brought a couple of them over to the studio. Me, Chase, and Andy drank both uh, magnums. I think I led the way. Those two guys are sitting there shaking their heads at me saying, we didn't get enough. <laughs> all right guys this was awesome thank you so much for doing it take care love you guys love you man see ya